Corinthians 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 11. Thanks for hanging, hanging with me there. Let's read this together. We're gonna read the whole thing and then we're gonna come back again. 2 Corinthians 5, page 805. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. And here's where I really want us to hone in this morning, verse 14 through the rest. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Hang with me. And he was committed to us. He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm someone, um, if you get to know me, my personality, I tend to complicate things. Um, I tend to overcomplicate things. You can ask my wife. Um, and there's no doubt, like there is no doubt that we live in a complex world with complex situations and complex people. But I was reminded this week that my purpose that my purpose in life is pretty simple. Our purpose as the family of God is pretty simple. You can boil it down to one single word, love. Love stands at the center of the Christian life. It is the supreme command of scripture. And I'm not just gathering this, it's actually what Jesus said when someone asked him, hey, Essentially, what's the most important thing for me to know? In Christ, he kind of boils it down to two things. He says, love God supremely, love God supremely, and love others sacrificially. He says, those are the two most important things that you can do. And I just wanna ask, have you ever been gripped by a story of love? Have you ever been gripped by a story? I'm not talking Reese Witherspoon, like romantic comedy kind of love. I'm talking like a story that gripped you, brought you to the point of tears. If you've been on Facebook and watched any of those five minute videos, you've been there like on the couch crying because this story compels you. 
Keila was uh, watching a story the other day about a man named uh, Nicholas Winton, and she was telling me about the story of a man named Nicholas Winton. And it was one of those stories that as soon as she told me, just like gripped my heart, just compelled my heart. And Nicholas Winton, some of you may know it, some of you may not, um, he was a British man uh, who during the Holocaust rescued 669 Jewish children. And he did this pretty much orchestrating this uh, a lot on his own accord and on his own power. And it's really amazing story because he told hardly anyone about it. Obviously at the time he couldn't tell a whole lot of people, but he didn't really tell anyone about it afterwards. Even after the war was over, after everything was safe, um, he, he told no one about it, not even his spouse. And so 50 years later, uh, his wife is up in the attic and she's looking through the attic and she finds this scrapbook type of thing. And she starts flipping through the scrapbook. She'd never seen it before. And as she's looking through the scrapbook, she sees these pictures and these names and these addresses of all of these children. And she's kind of perplexed. And then she starts to put the pieces of the puzzle together and brings it to him. And he kind of unpacks what he had been doing the years before he had met her. And there's this really neat moment that happens. Um, his wife, along with a local television show, um, kind of trick him to coming on this uh, t television show. And behind the scenes, they've been contacting as many of these uh, children that they could. And so this moment culminates, he's in the studio audience and the host kind of just asks, hey, anybody who has been saved, life has been saved because of Nicholas Winton stand up. And it's this moment where Nicholas Winton, he's sitting in the studio audience and everyone around him stands up and he gets to meet the faces and the names that he hadn't seen for the past 50 years. And that story just gripped me. The power of a story like that. And I kept asking myself, like why are stories like this so powerful? Why do stories like this grip us? And I think it's because it's the simple yet extraordinary acts of sacrificial love. The fact that he did it for nobody else, for the glory of no one else, but simply out of love. And so Paul, he's writing this letter. It's a letter to a church in Corinth. It's a church he, he had planted and um, he takes this moment in the middle of this letter. He takes a moment to just pause in the middle of this letter to remind them of their purpose to remind them of their purpose, his purpose, our purpose. And so this morning, we're gonna kind of look at this. We're gonna break it down into kind of three sections just so it's edible for us because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, words here. So we're gonna break it down. We're gonna look at compelling love. Number one, if you're a note taker, this is where you begin. Compelling love. Number two, we're gonna look at change. And number three, we're gonna look at calling. Compelling changing calling, the compelling love of Christ, the change of the transformation that occurs, and three, the calling that God puts on our lives as followers of Jesus, or the purpose for which we live with every day. And I'm hoping uh, around
around communion, we're gonna be able to gather and talk and process uh, some of the things that we're gonna talk about this morning. But I wanna jump in. Number one, compelling love. Verse 14 and 15, let's read it one more time. For Christ's love compels us. Or your translation might say, for Christ's love controls us. Because we are convinced We are sure, we are positive that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The love of Christ is on display through this entire thing. It's not just this one verse in this one moment. You look back, you can see the love of Jesus on display in the way that he would heal the sick the way that he welcomed the outsider, the way that he would cast out the demonic and he would set people free, the ways that he embraced children, the ways that he just embraced the lonely, the ways that he extended grace to those who were caught in sin over and over and over again. But there's this one moment that Paul talks about here All of these moments kind of in scripture culminating to this act of love that changes the course of human history. And it's this act of love, it's this moment that Paul says compels him. It's this moment, it's this act of love that Paul says controls him. And in verse 14, Paul, he points to that moment where Jesus on the cross covers all of our sins, the sins of all of humanity. And it's this moment in human history that is a part of a much grander story that God has been doing, that God is doing. Because from the moment that sin entered the world for the first time, we were in need of saving. We were in need of a savior. And in so many ways, in so many ways, you know, you read this, you hear this. For those of you who who grew up in church, you know Christ's love is representative of what he did on the cross for us. But in so many ways, we can't fully comprehend it. It fully can't sink into our hearts without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking this week, something that I never really think about is where Christ was before he came to earth. I don't know if you've ever, ever really thought about this. Where Jesus was before he came to earth in the form of a baby. He was at the pinnacle of existence. He was at the pinnacle of perfection. He was in the heavens with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect communion, perfect relationship, perfect fulfillment. And our minds can't really wrap around this because we don't know perfect relationship quite yet. But I want you to just imagine with me the most blissful, peaceful, amazing moment or place that you've ever experienced. Well, what is that place where you experience just peace and serenity and perfection? Now imagine that place with me for a moment. And you're taken from that place and you're thrown into the middle of the brokenness in this world around you. You turn on the news and you realize where you're at. Perfection, fulfillment, 
That's where he was. And what he entered into was pain and hurt. Jesus, he came right into the middle of our mess. Jesus, in his great love, died a very painful, cruel death. Jesus, in his great love, by the power of God, rose again, giving us a hope better than we could ever fathom, ever imagine. And I know that the reality of this love, for at least myself, is not emoted every moment of every minute of every day. I have those moments, sure. But I, I want a part of our communion time later is just, just spend time praying for a renewing of the reality and the realness of Christ's love towards us. We'll pray that later around communion, but let's jump into number two, the change. Let's take a look at the change that takes place, the transformation that begins to take place when we put our faith in Jesus, when we begin to follow him. And this is a change that begins to take place when Jesus is uh, no longer just somebody that we admire, but he's someone that we're actually beginning to follow. And so verses 15 through 17, let's read those one more time. Y'all with me? You good? Cool. 15, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Verse 15, the very first thing I notice, you are no longer self-centered, you're Christ-centered. You're no longer self-centered, you're Christ-centered. You are no longer the one that informs what you do and how you do it and where you go. Jesus is now the one that informs your priorities. And believe me, this is a good thing. Verse 16, the second thing I notice. The lens through which you view the world is now different. The lens through which you view the world is now different. You no longer have a worldly point of view or a worldly vision, but you are now given a spiritual vision. And so thankfully, we've been in Ephesians back in the spring and summer, if you weren't with us. And I don't know if you remember Paul earlier in Ephesians talking about this idea of the lens through which we see the world. Hey, Paul prayed, he said, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened. So you no longer although we do see things with our physical eyes, it is not the lens through which we see the world around us. Paul told us, in fact, Ephesians 2, 6, where is it that we are seated? As followers of Jesus, where is it that we are seated? We are seated in the heavenly realms. That is where our seat is. That is the point of view from which we see things. Remember what Paul told us about our battle, our struggle? He says, okay, your battle, your struggle is, is no longer with flesh and blood. Your, your battle is happening around you in the spiritual places. The lens through which we see the world is different. Third thing I notice, 
The past no longer defines you. The past no longer defines you. So when you step into relationship with Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. The guilt, the shame, the sin, every bit of it is lifted off of your shoulders. He does not want you to carry the baggage that you carry any longer. You've been weighed down. And he says, no, no longer. He says, I want to take that baggage. I want to take that sin. I want to take that shame, that guilt, all of that struggle. And I want to take it from you. And I want to toss it away into the ocean. As far as the east is from the west, he has cast your sins. And I want to take a moment just real quickly and say, I've been following Jesus for almost 18 years and I still struggle with all the things that I listed. I still struggle with every single thing that um, I just told you this morning. And I think it's important for us to remember the order. What did we start with? What was the first thing that we looked at? We looked at Christ's compelling love for us. It's not that we are supposed to change in order to receive the love of Jesus. It's his love that changes us. We can't reverse that order. You can't reverse that order. And when we do, we get in trouble. It's so important that I want to say it again. We can't change enough to be loved by Jesus. It's Jesus's love that changes us. And that love that changes us, it gives us a new identity. It gives us a new purpose, which brings us to number three, the calling. Let's take a look at our calling. Let's take a look at our purpose as the family of God, the people of God, because there is a real compelling love that changes us and changes us and gives us this incredible calling. Verse 18 through 20, let's read it again. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's a pretty profound statement in verse 18. Pretty profound statement that Paul makes. He said, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. And this simple profound statement reveals God's infinite love in a way that I don't, I don't think we can fully grasp or imagine. So we offended God by breaking his commandments, by sinning against him. Therefore, this initiative for reconciliation should have come from us as the offending party. Instead, we know that God, as the offended party, extended his hand to us, reached out to us to achieve restoration of relationship. It was God that initiated it. It's God that continues it, this restoration of relationship. 
And this, this is who we take our cues from. This is who we follow. We as the family of God, we as the people of God, aren't supposed to sit within the confines of our walls and wait for people to come to us to find their place of belonging. Because we're taking cues from the God that restored relationship with us. It's our calling, it's our purpose to go into the world. And I think this is why Paul uses very intentionally this word ambassadors. In biblical times, an ambassador was actually pretty similar to an ambassador today. They were a representative, they were a spokesperson for a king, for a ruler, or for a community. And they uttered the words and the feelings and the emotions and the thoughts of the ruler that they represented. Similar today, you know, an ambassador represents a government by conveying their thoughts to that host country. A president or a prime minister sends that person over as a representative. And so ambassadors, think about an ambassador, they no longer speak for themselves, they no longer act for just themselves, but their actions and their words carry a weight, am I right? Their actions and their words carry a weight to the one that they represent. And those who are compelled by the love of Christ and therefore changed by the love of Christ now have a calling. We now have a purpose. We are now ambassadors, representatives of Christ's love to those around us. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We carry a message of sacrificial love, available for all, offering life and life to the fullest, both now, in the present, and in forever, and the day to come. And here's an honest tension that I felt this week as I thought about our purpose, as I thought about our mission to awaken a movement as ambassadors of Christ. And I just found myself saying, I honestly don't know if I can make a difference. Like what is it that I can do that will awaken a movement? And you've probably felt that, you may be feeling that right now. And here's one of the cool things about God. There's a lot of cool things about God. He takes what we have to offer and he does a hundred times more with it than we ever thought was possible. And I'm not making this up. Jesus, when he touched things, they multiplied. Jesus, he told the fishermen, he said, hey, cast your nets on the other side. They hadn't caught anything all day. He said, cast your nets on the other side. Small act of obedience, they do it. And what happens? More fish than they were able to even bring into the boat. Jesus, he feeds the 5,000. This actually happened. He feeds the 5,000. What does it take? Five loaves, two fish. That was it. One little boy's sacrificial love ends up feeding 5,000 people. Jesus, he tells us, he says, okay, faith 
the size of a what? Mustard seed. Can move what? Mountains. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? When you get Jesus involved in things and you offer things to him, he will multiply them. He will take our small acts of love and multiply them for the advancement of his kingdom. It's just what he does. It's just what he does. And I'm convinced that the way that we, as the people of God, as the family of God, are going to awaken a movement in this city and beyond is by those small acts of love, person to person, face to face, in the context of relationship. So this morning, we're gonna go to the table. We're gonna go to the table and we're gonna talk about what this means for us. We're gonna look at this compelling love, which is represented by the bread and the cup, what Jesus did on the cross for us. We're gonna talk about how it has changed us. And I wanna invite us to talk about where is God calling you to be his ambassador? Where is God calling you to be his ambassador, his ambassador of love? So I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna pray together and head to the table. Father, we uh, just thank you God, thank you for just extending your hand to us, for opening your arms just wide to us when we did not deserve it. And saying, I want you, I cherish you, I desire relationship with you. Father, may that love through Christ compel us into this world around us. May we be ambassadors that speak the grace and the mercy and the love that you represent to those around us. We love you. We love you. We love you. Jesus, it is in your name we pray. Amen.